Today I read from the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. These are familiar words, but they're always so powerful and meaningful. Let us hear these holy words. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the Lord, by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from the dream, he did as the angel of the Lord, of the, uh, Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. I want to say uh, how much I appreciate the privilege of being here. I'm not over here very often, but I am always grateful for the opportunity to worship with you all. And the music is always so good. So I want to say a word of appreciation to the band and our worship leaders, Brooke and Trenton, do such a good job. And I'm grateful for the privilege during this Advent season to be with you all. It really is a special and holy time. And they do such a beautiful job of decorating this space as well. I think it is very well done and it enhances the worship experience all the more. So thank you to everybody who's had a role in that. Let's pray. Oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day. And work your will in our lives. Amen. Have you ever had a very strange or recurring or even unsettling dream? I've had them many times in my life. In fact, I have several recurring dreams. I dream them far too often. And I've discovered over time that I'm not the only one who has some of these dreams. For example, I dream regularly that my teeth fall out of my mouth. I'm not ever sure exactly what that means. I'm sure some expert could tell me. But unfortunately, that dream actually came true about a year ago. I played sports when I was young, knocked out my teeth on several occasions. So the front of my mouth, I have a bridge. I had a bridge that had been there for 25 years. We were at dinner one night with a couple in the church. And while I was talking, my bridge fell out. Fortunately, most people in those days were still wearing masks. So I just said, I'm not really hungry. I put my mask back on and waited till I could go see the dentist. I've also had a recurring dream that I have a final exam, but I've never been to the class. And so I have a class that I've never attended with a final exam that's gonna cause me either to graduate or not graduate. I've dreamed that way too often. Even in all these years, after I've been out of school, I still have that dream. I don't know what it is about recurring dreams, but my greatest fear is one of the dreams that I have more than any other. And that is, it's time to get up and preach. And when it's time to stand up and preach, I have nothing to say. I'm ill-prepared. I don't have a sermon. For some reason, I didn't even know I was supposed to preach until it's time to get up to preach. 
But I had a dream when I was in high school that to this day, more than 40 years later, is still unsettling to me. It was, at the time, something that really shook me up. I didn't know what to do with it, and even to this day, I'm still not sure what any of it meant, if anything. But one night I went to bed on a school night, and in the course of the evening, I had a dream about a classmate of mine who died unexpectedly. It was very vivid for me. I remember waking up the next morning very unsettled by that experience, only to go to school and recognize that when we got there in the small town in which we lived, school had been canceled for the day because a student had died. One of the classmates that I had a dream about had committed suicide the night before. And I had a dream, not that he committed suicide, but that he died. Was it a coincidence? I don't know, even to this day, but I remember just being struck by that whole experience to such a degree that even all these years later, I'm not sure what to do with that. Dreams can be unsettling, unnerving, but dreams can also give us direction and hope and guidance. And I am certain that God comes to us sometimes in our dreams, not all of our dreams, because if we told everybody about all of our dreams, they may put us in a rubber room. Have you ever had just a really weird dream and you don't even want anybody to know about it? I mean, we've all done that before. But I do think there are occasions in life when God chooses, for whatever reason, to speak to us in a dream. Maybe it's because all other distractions are out of the way and we're solely focused on the moment in which we're having that dream. Joseph, scripture tells us, was a righteous man. That means faithful, committed, loving. And he receives the most devastating news of his life. The one to whom he is engaged, the one he loves so much, is with child and he knows he is not the father. He has never been intimate with her. How can this be? Well, clearly it's obvious. So he decides what he is going to do, as the scripture says, is divorce her quietly. In that culture and that day and time, if one was engaged, it was binding. It was the equivalent of marriage as far as a contractual obligation, if you will, and a certificate of divorce was required even for a broken engagement. And so Joseph decides the best thing he can do is to quietly leave the one that he loves so much when by law he had a right to expose her and to have her stoned because she is carrying a child from someone else. But because of his love for her and because he doesn't want to bring any shame on her, he decides to divorce her quietly. But then he has a dream. And in his dream, an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, don't worry. The woman to whom you are engaged, she has a child in her womb by God. And you are to name this child Jesus. And you are to be the one to nurture him. And you need to know that this is all prophetic. This is all planned. This has been prepared long ago. 
with the prophet Isaiah saying there is one who will be born into the world. We are to call Emmanuel, which means God with us, the Christ, the anointed one, God in flesh. And Joseph awakes from his dream and does what he is supposed to do. Henry David Thoreau says the greatest moment in life is to live dreams awake. Now, what he meant by that was dreams that come true, dreams that are realized have such a power over us that they give us life. And Joseph's life in the moment would suddenly and dramatically change forever. It is nothing that he could have ever possibly anticipated, but it's not going to be the same for him anymore. He uses no excuses. He could have easily said, listen, I didn't sign on for this. This is not what I anticipated. I thought I was marrying a young woman. I thought we were going to rear a family together. I thought I was going to be the biological father. But he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't say, I don't want any part of this. On the contrary, he fully accepts the responsibility given to him to be the earthly father of the one who is God in flesh on the face of the earth. This dream altered his life forever. He went from being devastated hearing the news about the one to whom he is engaged to this extraordinary, overwhelming, life-changing responsibility that he fully accepted all because God's word came to him in a dream. It's not the last dream that we'll see that Joseph has in the Gospel of Matthew regarding Jesus. He obviously has this dream that the woman to whom he is engaged is carrying in her womb God in flesh. But after Jesus is born into the world, Joseph has another dream. And he is to take Mary and Jesus and they are to flee to Egypt because Herod is out to get this newborn and put him to death. So in a dream, he's given instruction and he follows the instruction and they flee to Egypt and they remain in Egypt for some period of time until Herod dies, and then Joseph has another dream to bring the family back to Israel, only to have another dream to say, never mind, he is going to go to Nazareth and, Nazareth and Galilee, and that's where you are to rear this child. Joseph has one dream after another, and in each of these dreams, clearly hearing the message of God, he responds accordingly. Dreams are an extraordinary thing for us. And what Joseph does is take on the responsibility that was given to him. Now, you've got to remember, in that culture, in that day and time, men were the ones who were the breadwinners. They were the protectors. They were the providers. They did all of that. Mary would have been dependent on him, as would have, Jesus would have been as well. And Joseph playing out his part, if you will, as the man of the house. And he does it exceptionally well. He is that calming presence in the midst of all this uncertainty. Where is Jesus going to be born? And after he's born, where are we going to go? Somebody's out to kill him. All the uncertainty, Joseph is the calming presence as the father, the provider of the family. I, do, I know growing up many times, my own father was a calming presence in my life. When I was struggling with my call to ministry, I remember calling my father who came out to see me when I was in school. And I just said, how can this be? I don't feel this sense of calling at any other point in time in life. And suddenly I feel this calling to preach. I don't like to stand up in front of people. This just can't be happening to me. And he was this calming presence, this rational presence for me in the midst of what was for me in the moment, a very uncertain time. 
very chaotic time in my life. I remember when I had my first seminary paper due. We had very little theological training at that point. I'd only been in class less than a week and they asked us to write our theology. So I wrote what I thought was my theology and I didn't get a very good grade when I got my paper back. And I called my dad right away and I said, man, I made a mistake. I don't need to be here. This is ridiculous. I didn't do well on this first paper. And he said, hey, calm down. They're asking you to write your theology today. What they're gonna do is nurture you and shape you and encourage you to teach you to really talk about what you believe. And I bet it changes by the end of the semester. Just calm down, it's gonna be okay. He was right. I remember the very first time I ever had to do a funeral. I was 23 years old. A woman by the name of Markalita Pryor died. I was the youth director in this church. I didn't know Markalita, she was in her 90s. I had just gone to be the youth director in this church. It was my first job. I didn't know anything and the senior pastor was in New Mexico. And he called me and said, I'm not coming back from vacation. You have to do the funeral. I said, man, I don't know how to do a funeral. Well, figure it out. So guess what I did? Called my dad. Dad, what do I do? I don't know how to do any of this. He walked me through the steps and he said, you do this and then you do this and you do this. You'll be fine, John. It's going to go well. It went just fine. Everything turned out well. I have done literally more than a thousand funerals. And I remember my very first one, the best, Markalita Pryor. Because when I was so worked up, there was a calming presence in my father to make it okay. Now this Joseph, this man who would have been a laborer, he would have been poor, almost peasant-like. And now the responsibility given to him is extraordinary. He would have been the one, now think about this, who is going to take care of God in flesh, the earthly one, fully God, but fully human like the rest of us. Now think about the responsibility he had. He would have been the one to tell Jesus about the birds and the bees. He would have been the one to tell Jesus, listen, this is how you have to be polite and respectful to people. This is what you say. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. He would have done all of that stuff. He would have been ironically the one to teach Jesus how to use a hammer and a nail. That was his responsibility and he follows through all because he received God's word in a dream, what would the world have been like had Joseph backed out of the responsibility or said, I just had too much Mexican food last night. You're not going to believe the dream I had. It was just bizarre and left it at that. But he knew that somehow God was speaking to him in that moment and it forever altered all of human history as a result. I wonder sometimes what an expert would do today if she or he had an opportunity to sit down with Joseph. And right after his dream, he told them what he heard. Would they have said, listen, that's just your mind coping with the devastating news of the loss of the relationship you had with the one to whom you were engaged? Would they have even thought that maybe God was in the midst of all that? Joseph of the Old Testament was one who could interpret dreams. And because he could interpret dreams so well, he found himself in a great position of authority and power. The Joseph of the New Testament, the husband of Mary, was one who was a receiver of dreams, a recipient of dreams that would change human history as a result. I am convinced, I know with certainty, that God will speak to us in a dream. 
Over my years in ministry, on countless occasions, particularly after a loved one has died, someone will say to me, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but the one that I love so much has died. I had a dream about her or him last night, and I feel such a sense of comfort now because of that dream. I think that's God. I've had people say to me, listen, I'm giving up my career and I'm going to go follow my dream because I had a dream. And their life is altered as a result of that. I've had people talk about their dreams in a variety of ways over the course of my ministry. And I think in my own life, I've had dreams that somehow were more than just a vivid part of my brain working overtime in the night that it is God speaking to me in some way, and I am convinced God is doing that for you. Not every dream that we have is a message from God. But I am convinced that if God wants to speak to us, one of the primary ways in which God chooses to do that is in the silence of the moment in a dream. Life is chaotic. When the resurrected Christ comes to us, sometimes we're so busy going on with life, we miss him. But when we are still and in that state of unconsciousness, somehow there is a level of consciousness that is so sensitive to the sacred that that's when God takes the moment to speak to us and say something to us. It happens all the time. Could Joseph have ever imagined in his wildest dreams what would happen as a result of being engaged to the one he loved so much? Now think about it. When Joseph awakes from the dream, they eventually find themselves in Bethlehem, a backwater, out of the way, little bitty tiny village where the savior of the world, God in flesh, has to be born in a cattle stall. Would Joseph have ever imagined that that's what would take place when he said yes to that dream? And then shortly after that, Joseph has this dream. Get out of here quickly. Herod is so threatened by a newborn, dependent, helpless baby that he wants that child dead. You got to take your child, your earthly son and your wife, and you got to get out of the country as quickly as you can. Would Joseph have ever imagined that that would be part of the responsibility of saying yes to the dream? And then finally... After Herod dies, they're going to go back to Israel. But then all of a sudden, they realize it's Herod's son that is now ascended to the position of authority. And he is going to seek out this tiny child and put him to death. So they can't go there. They end up in Nazareth of Galilee. They're all over the place. Joseph's life was literally turned upside down, all because he heard God's word in a dream. So I hope during this Advent season that you'll really be intentional because Advent means the coming. It is a time of preparation. It is a time of intense focus on how it is the Christ child chooses to come to us. Don't discount the fact that you might have a dream in the next couple of weeks, maybe tonight, maybe next year, who knows when, where the Christ child in some way comes to you and says something to you and you feel it and you know it. And there is this visceral response. You know that it is God speaking to you. I promise it's going to happen. Our responsibility is not to discount it. Our responsibility is to be sensitive to it, to listen intently, to pray through that experience and then respond like Joseph did accordingly. This is Advent. 
This is that sensitive time in our lives where we try to find how it is God chooses to come to us as we are intentional about focusing on what it means to be prepared for the celebration of the birth of Christ into the world. You're a person of dreams. And if you say, I can't remember my dreams, let me tell you, if God comes to you in a dream, you'll never forget it. God's word in a dream. It can shape us. It can recreate us. And it certainly will direct us. Hallelujah. Amen.